Good morning. Hey, let me go ahead and remind you, if you're maybe new here or maybe you've been here a long time, let me go ahead and remind you that we are a church for those who have given up on church, which means a lot of different things. But one of the things it means is that we want to be a family nucleus of full of people who are imperfect, who are open about their imperfections because we're following a perfect God who we want to magnify, who we want to glorify, and we want to follow his example of loving like he has loved. And that's part of our mission here at the church. And I'm so excited that today we get to, to learn more about that as we look through the book of Hosea and talk about this redemption that we all so desperately need. So would you just join me in a word of prayer before we dive into God's word? Jesus, we thank you so much that you are here among us. We've gathered to worship your name, Father. And for some of us, this week was tough. We had a lot of valleys that we had to walk through this week. But you have still brought us here to this moment. This moment of rest. This moment of reflection. Better yet, a moment to focus upon you. And so, Father, I ask that in this time right now that you might bring us to to a sacred feeling right now, knowing that you are here with us and knowing that you are doing something in our hearts as we read your word, as we look to Jesus, as we see what you have to say to us today. In your name I pray. Amen. So I remember quite vividly the last time I ever back-talked my mother because it was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. And for those of you who are teenagers, you, know, you might want to listen and so you avoid making the same mistake I made. All right, so here's what happened. I was young and my dad was deployed to Afghanistan for two years. So for or two years, we didn't see him. And it happened to be at this time where most young boys start to question, what does it mean to be a man? And you start to push the boundaries a little bit. And, and at that time, I was dealing with a lot of issues. I had a lot of fear. And I had a lot of insecurities. I had a lot of things that I was dealing with because of the situation that our family was put in. And so I wanted, to pee, I wanted to be the kind of person that people would look at and be like, he's now the man of the house. And so I, I gave this big persona. I wanted to look tough. I wanted to look strong. And I took my cues basically from what I was watching on television. What told me that men are, are strong, they're confident, they're cocky, they're arrogant, they're prideful. And so I was like that at home, which was not a good decision. All right. If my dad was home, this would never have flown. But I got to be really mean towards my mom. She would ask me to do something, and I'd always reply with something snarky. I thought I was better than her. I thought she did not have authority over me. And I'm saying this because I know she's watching, you know, online. And so I apologize, mom. Right? But but she was incredibly gracious and merciful with me until enough was enough. And I remember the day uh, she asked me to do something for like the 10th time and I, I replied with something rude and I turned around to walk away from her. And I don't know how she did this because my mom is only like five feet tall and she's a tiny woman. But she grabbed me and the next thing I know, I'm airborne, right? And keep in mind, like I just hit my growth spurt. I, I'm six foot two. I, that just added to the whole mess of me thinking I was better than her. But she grabbed me and, and I'm on the way up... The, 
staircase, and she grabbed me and flung me over her shoulder, slammed me down on the ground. I was totally stunned. I was like, what just happened? I'm laying on the ground with the wind knocked out of me. Have you ever had that moment when the wind knocks out of your lungs and you're just like, it's a terrifying moment. You're like, I'm dying in this time, right? And so I'm laying on the ground, just stuck, not sure what just happened. I just remember seeing the world spinning. I hit the ground, struggling to breathe, and my mom stands right over me. She reaches down, grabs my shirt collar, pulls me up until our noses are touching. In a very quiet voice, she whispers, I don't care how big you are or how big you think you are. If you ever speak that way to me again, I will lay you out. And then my mom dropped me like the mic and then walked away. My friends, I have preached the gospel in multiple different countries. I have even preached it in front of an audience with weapons who I was pretty sure might kill me for saying the name of Jesus. But that moment with my mother is still one of the top five most terrifying moments of my life. And I never once again backtalked her again. So for all of you teenagers, I'm sorry if you're going to have a rough afternoon here. Um, right? But here's the issue. This all started because I had a self-image problem. I wanted to appear a certain way. I wanted people to see me a certain way and could not deal with the brokenness that that was trying to cover up. And here's what I know that is true for all of us. We all have some sort of self-image problem where we want someone, maybe other people, maybe even people whose names we don't even know, we want them to see us in a certain way. And so we do things, we make sacrifices, we sacrifice our integrity and our value sometimes so that they will see us a certain way and not see what we know to be true. And we all do this, right? Maybe for some of you this is why you take on so much responsibility, why you say yes to everything, why you can't say no, because you want to seem valuable, you want to seem like you're a contributing good person, and so you take all this weight because you don't want to deal with the brokenness that you're trying to hide. We do this in our relationships. We do this as spouses and as parents, right? Maybe for you, this is part of the reason why you got into the job that you're in in the first place. It might even be, honestly, why you're here right now because you want to appear a certain way and not deal with the brokenness that's at play. But this is where God's redemption is so good because he speaks to us brokenness because he's not all about playing that game. He sees through our faulty self-image to what is truly at the core of us and that's where he wants to speak life into the places that we often want to hide from. And that's perfectly seen in the book of Hosea. In chapter 10 where we come to a people who, let's be honest, we've been walking through the book of Hosea, they are messed up people, right? But we come to Hosea chapter 10 and we see this God in this narrative who, and throughout Hosea, as he's trying to woo his people back, they're broken, they're messed up, they're doing all sorts of things, they're leaving him, and yet we see this God who's like, man, I still want you, just please come back home. And that's seen in, like I said, chapter 10, verse 1, where it starts off by saying that Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. Meaning, this is how Israel wanted to appear. We know from 10 chapters so far in Hosea, this is not what Israel actually is. But this is what they wanted the world around them to see, that they were healthy, that they were wealthy, that they were happy, that they were strong, that they were secure, that they were self-sufficient. This was 
their self-image. But it wasn't the truth. Because for all that they wanted people to see, here's where God says is what's actually going on. Verse 13, we jump ahead. He says, you have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. He's like, look, people, you're just making a mess of things, but then trying to hide it. You have bought into lies. You do things that you know are unhealthy for you, that aren't good for other people either, and not for yourself, certainly. He says, because you have trusted in your own way and the multitude of your warriors. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at this issue called self-deception which is where we are blind to our own problems. And we think we are better than what we actually are. But that's not what's going on here. By this point in the narrative, Hosea has made it very clear the issue is going on. So by this point, Israel is not fooling anybody. They're not like hiding or they're not sitting there thinking, man, I'm, I'm something special. They know they've got flaws. They know they've got brokenness. They know they've got wounds and they've they've got things that they would rather just sweep under the rug, right? And because they're living this way, where they know what's the state that they're in and they're trying to hide it, they're trying to put on a brave face, they're trying to tell people, I'm fine, I'm not struggling, everything's going great, look at who I want to be. Because they're doing this, Hosea is pointing out that there's a flaw that starts to take place here, that they become a people where the the end justifies the means. Meaning, as long as you get the image you want, and as long as you achieve what you want, who cares what you did on the way to get there? Now, we all do this, right? We're all tempted to cut corners at work, to lie, to cheat, to throw our own integrity and values sometimes under the surface to get something that we want. Think back to when you were in high school or middle school and you saw a group of kids who were insulting another group of kids. What'd you do? You probably joined in because you didn't want that attention on you. You wanted to seem cool, and so you made some sacrifices because you wanted to be in that cool group. We all do this, where we sacrifice and we, we justify the means because the end was, seemed worth it. Even churches do this, right? I can remember one time going to this church in a town I was growing up. There was this new church. It was a, a, a fastly growing church. They had this reputation for doing anything it took to get butts in the seats because that was their idea of success. And I went there because we had family members there, and they had this special event going on with them up on stage. And so we went and visited this church, and this guy, we walk in, and it's a rather interesting experience because we walk in the first thing I see was up on the stage was this giant cardboard cutout of a thermometer what you know like you typically see when churches do building campaigns or fundraisers and they're like here's our goal we're going to fill it up and get to the top except it wasn't for money it had a big sign that says here's how many salvations we're going to get this year which was a little bit uncomfortable and then the preacher he gets up on stage and he doesn't walk up with the bible or anything rather he walks up with this parenting book opens up the parenting book, and spends the entire time talking about parenting, which is not a bad thing, except he never once quotes any scripture, never mentions Jesus or anything. He flips through this parenting book, and he starts reading off passages from the parenting book as if it was the Bible. And I'm sitting here wondering, okay, when are you going to bring in Jesus? When are you going to bring in the, the Bible and things like that? And at the very end of his message, here's what he does. After talking about how we need to be better parents, he stopped and says, oh, by the way, does anyone want to accept Jesus today? And 12 people raised their hands. And I was shocked. I was like, there was no mention of Jesus. 
There was no scripture read. I don't know what these people were signing up for, but it certainly wasn't Jesus, right? But this church had this mentality of do whatever it takes to reach a godly end, to do something that looks good and godly and never mind the means along the way. And I bring this up because if you read scripture, this is not okay with God. God does not play that game where he's like, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you get to the good result that I want. That's not how God operates. Because to be a Jesus follower means that you're accepting that God owns the end and that your responsibility is in the means of how are you going to live today following him? Are you going to obey him? Are you going to follow his ways and trust him to take care of the end? That's what it means to be a Jesus follower. Because when we forget this, we start to fall into the same mistake that the people of Hosea and that time frame did, and they failed to learn that when our greatest concern is our image, as Hosea's people were doing, as the people of the Israelites were doing, that their greatest concern was their image, what that creates is that we will devalue the image of God in someone else and ignore the brokenness in ourselves. If our concern is what people think of us, that we want them to see us in a certain way, this will naturally lead to us, therefore, then devaluing the image of God in someone else, right? And ignoring what real brokenness that needs mending and repair in ourselves. And this is where Israel got to. In fact, if you read chapter 1, or verse 1, I'm sorry, of chapter 10, it goes on to continue talking about as Israel is following this path, the foundation of their nation, of their being, starts to crack, starts to splinter and fall apart. But we worship a God who, who's so gracious that he's not willing to play the game that we want to play, but wants to point out the true condition of our hearts because he wants to heal us. And so he looks at his people, the Israelites, and he says in verse 2, he says, their heart is false because they wanted to put on a brave face but weren't willing to deal with the brokenness that they were trying to hide. And let me be honest, we all do this, especially men, right? Like we don't like to admit that we're struggling or admit that we're in pain. I, I experienced a little bit of humbling of that this week, right? So I went to the gym this week and of lifting weights and I felt a little ambitious, so I threw on more weights than I was supposed to and I ended up pulling a muscle in my back. And so all week, I, I tried to push through it. I just took some ibuprofen. I, I went through it. And, I, and then Thursday night, it had a, a terrible spasm. And I kind of collapsed against the, the counter. And, and my pregnant wife had to help drag me basically to the couch. And then the next day, I'm having to message Dave. And I was like, and I, I can't come in today. I can't even get off the couch without, like, searing pain. And Dave... You know, here's a real funny thing. Um, him and Steve Keith and Greg Goberto are out delivering beds, and, and they sent a funny video making fun of me for that. And I was like, wow, so three grandpas are out delivering beds, and the guy in his 20s can't get out of bed. It was really humbling, right? Where I was sitting there thinking, man, if I had just taken the time to actually get some help or, you know, rest, and rather than try to put on a brave, strong face, things would have been better. I could have possibly helped out or served or done something else. But see, this is how we operate, right? That's why we tell people, oh, man, I'm doing fine, even though your world might be burning around you, okay? 
or, or why we sometimes, you know, use like social media to portray that our careers or our relationships are wonderful when, when they might not actually be that way. But we're too nervous, too afraid of what people think if we say, hey, man, I need help. Or addictions, that we, we hide and bury addictions because even though we worship a God who knows we're a sinner, who says, man, there's nothing you can do to earn salvation, and we proclaim that on Sunday morning, but for some reason when we interact with one another, we think, man, if people actually know I'm a sinner and I'm struggling, what would they think? That you're human. That you are a sinner in need of grace. And the beauty of Jesus speaking into that space, right? But this is how we operate, where we, we hide. We don't want anyone to know that we're, we're struggling. We don't want anyone to, to see us in that state. So we put on a strong face. Because this is more comfortable than dealing with the pain. But as I was reminded of physically this week, and as Scripture is being said here to the heart of the people of, um, of Isaiah, or Israel in the book of Hosea, is that when we try to hide our brokenness behind what self-image we want others to see, we only add to our brokenness. Because when you're not dealing with it, that brokenness is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it gets more exhausting to put on that good face. The face that says, everything's fine, nothing's going wrong. Until eventually you hit rock bottom. And that's what happens for the, the people here. These people who are called to be a kingdom of priests could not deal with the brokenness. They are so concerned with appearing in a certain way that it cracked them, it broke them, and it had an ongoing effect. It led to other problems. For instance, you see in verse 3 that they start to say things like this. For now they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear Yahweh. And a king, what could he do for us? So the people who are called to be a, a kingdom of priests, who are called to be a priest to all nations, they get to a point where they're like, man, we don't even need this God because we have built our self-image on other things. We're self-sufficient. We've got this. They couldn't see how much they actually need this God. And here's what happens as a result of this. When you start to think, man, you're good enough, that you have these things in your life that you've built up to puff up your own self-image, God points out how we turn these things into idols. For instance, in verse 5, God points out, he says, the inhabitants of Samaria, which are the people of God, the, the Israelites, he says, the inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth-Avon. Meaning they, they've developed this idol. They've developed this, this thing that they're worshiping over here, and they are so concerned about the state of their idol. He says, man, they've got this golden calf, and when it seems to be threatened, when its little pedestal rocks a little bit, they're like, oh my gosh, we're, what are we going to do? Right? And in fact, he points that out. Continuing in verse 5, he says, it's people mourn for it. Something that was an idol, something that can't give you anything, but they have built their self-image on the state of this idol, that they're mourning for it when it is threatened. And so do its idolatrous priests. Those who rejoice over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. You want to know when something becomes an idol in your life? Ask how do you feel when it fails. Ask, is this what you think about most often? Is this what you, you bet your hopes and dreams on the future on, the state of this idol going the way that you want it to go, giving you what you 
want. See, my friends, our idols might not be a golden calf in our living room, which I really hope it's not true for anyone here. Right? We, that's a whole other conversation we need to have. But our idols are just as real. They can be our wealth. They can be our job. They can be our social media. They can be our entertainment. They can even be some unhealthy relationships in our life. We can create idols in our lives that says, let me have this define who I am. And let me have this build up my self-image so that I am seen in a certain way by the community. And they don't actually see the brokenness I hope that they don't see. The brokenness I know that is calling my name out. The skeletons in the closet. The things when you're sleeping and you feel like they're just reaching out for you. This is what idols do, my friend. We build these things up. And if you read chapter 10, here's this guy. He's like, man, I love you too much to allow this to exist, so I'm going to tear them down. Basically, Israel was due for them to be grabbed and flipped and thrown on the ground. It's quite brutal, right? But this is a God who wants to win us who is willing to go to such extremes sometimes to keep us from making bad mistakes. Like, I, I'm so grateful that, for instance, my mom did that to me because it broke my self-image and kept things from building roots that would have caused some serious problems when I'm older. And God does the same thing for his people, that he's willing to break them and their idols so that he can bring about redemption, which is wonderful. Because redemption doesn't always look the way that we want it to look. But it always looks the way that God knows that we need it to be. And that's what he promises here. And in this, there is great hope for a people who need redemption. For a people who have forgotten what it means to be God's people. God still offers them a tremendous amount of hope. You see it in verse 12. Where God tells them, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek Yahweh, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. What's beautiful about this is that for weeks now we've been looking at a people who are the people of God, who have really messed up, who look like there is no hope for redemption for them. And yet we come to chapter 10 and God says, man, there is still hope for you yet. I have not forgotten about you. I have not given up on you. I am still pursuing you. I'm still chasing after you if you'll still turn around and do the work and join in with me to surrender, to accept the grace and hope and mercy that's offered for you in those places of brokenness. Because the places of brokenness that honestly sometimes just smell like manure is the very places where God can build the most beautiful gardens which is something that should really teach us something very powerful. That maturity does not come from securing our self-image, but from repairing our brokenness. Because that's where God is saying where he's calling for his people to surrender, to join in with his work. And this applies to all sorts of areas of our life, to relationships, to our jobs, to our personal health and well-being. You know, when we started this series, um, you know, when we had planned it out back in September, 
my hope was that as we're going to be walking through Hosea, we're going to be looking at this theme, that this is going to be preparing our hearts for Easter. So that by the time we come to Easter, our hearts should be crying out, God, I really need you because I'm a mess without you. And I need your redemption. And that was my heart with this. But as we've been digging into this, as we've been looking at this God who wants to have such an intimate, passionate relationship with us as the only human ways that we have to describe it is to define it like a marriage, you can't help but to ask, man, what does this therefore mean for our own marriages? And so this was never intended to be a marriage series, but talking with a lot of people, I found that it is very encouraging for marriages. So let me add some extra encouragement here. I understand how easy and how difficult it can be on Sunday morning coming in and pretending like everything's fine. You might have driven in here screaming and cussing at each other, saying things you're like, man, the pastor knew what I just said. <laughs> and believe me, I've been in those car rides myself. And I had to turn around and preach afterwards. <laughs> so I'm not judging you, but I want to say, man, I, I know what that's like. And so I want you to know that you are not alone. You are not alone, and I want you to know that you are in a safe place to be loved. Because we're all struggling in our own unique ways. But there's this God who, in the very places where he's calling us to, to open up, he offers us the potential to build something beautiful. But protecting our self-image, making other people feel distant from us because why we, we don't want them to know, hey, man, we need some help. That's only going to add to more brokenness. I heard this past Sunday um, at the Fellowship's marriage conference, which was awesome, the, the guy, he spoke, he said this quote that's just stuck with me, that marriage is like a duet with a lot of backup singers. And that's the beauty here, right? So if you're struggling right now, look, let me tell you, there are plenty of people here who can come alongside you and help. So you're not alone, and you're loved. And this is a safe place because we understand relationships are tough. And here is this God who is looking at a people you think, man, should just give up and walk out on them. And yet he's still reminding them of how much he loves them, how much he's still pursuing them, how much he still wants them, which I hope is really encouraging for you today, that you are never too far gone for God. And you are never too far gone for God to redeem you. That it doesn't matter what your past is. That there is a God out there. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the only God. He has died on the cross for your sins because he wants to redeem you. And he wants to call you into fellowship with him. And that's the wonderful beauty of it. That in this, you have to admit some weakness, some humility before this holy, righteous God to say, God, man, I, I've messed up. I, I've sinned. I, I've gone the wrong way. And I was, I thought I knew better. And that's when God speaks and steps in and offers hope. Because it can be exhausting, my friends, to put up that self-image day after day. And it can be exhausting to play that game that we do as Christians. Where we worship this God who knows us, but we don't want to be known by one another. Because while we say, man, yes, we're all sinners, we don't like people actually knowing that we're sinners in need of help. And it's exhausting. And I find great 
encouragement when I look at the words of Jesus. Records to us in the Gospel of Matthew and his biography. Matthew records Jesus speaking to a group of people who were fighting so hard to keep the self-image that they wanted. They didn't want anyone to know that they were struggling. They didn't want anyone to know that they had doubts. They didn't want anyone to know that their marriage might be on the rocks. They didn't want anyone to know that their kids, that they're having a hard time connecting with their kids. They didn't want anyone to know that they were struggling with their finances and struggling with addictions. They were fighting so hard to keep their self-image. And here's what Jesus says to them. It's so encouraging. It's recorded to us in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says in chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest feels good, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is great possibility for redemption, not in our merit, not in any potential or possibility that lies in us, but solely because of the potential that lies in Jesus who offers us possibility for grace to speak into those places that we want to bury and hide. And that might very well be the place where he wants to grow something truly beautiful for his glory in those spaces. The question is, is whose attention are we going to be seeking after? Are we going to continue to seek after all of our idols that we use to build up our own self-image? Or are we going to seek after Jesus? And that's the whole point that Hosea chapter 10 is trying to get us to see. That the more we are focused on the image of Christ, the less focused we are on the image of ourselves. The more focused we are on the image of Christ, the less focused we are on the image of ourselves. And here's where you see the transformation. When someone is just so consumed and focused upon the image of Christ, it doesn't matter to them the success of others around them. It doesn't matter to them what others think of them because they know what Jesus thinks of them. And that's enough. And sometimes that means they're willing to do some things that are crazy and reckless. Sometimes that means that they're willing to even go to other parts of the world to preach the gospel. Sometimes that means that they're just willing to sometimes be kind of silly and foolish Because they know who they are, because they have put their focus upon Jesus and they're not building up a false self-image. They're living as Jesus has called them to be, as God always meant for them to be. The more we focus upon Jesus, the less this game of self-image just washes away. You find yourself free to come up to people and say, man, I need some help. Or man, I need to break this habit. Will you hold me accountable? Or, man, here's where I'm struggling in a relationship. Can you come and be a buffer? Can you come and be a counselor? Can you come and show help? See, my friends, this is what the church is about. It's not to be a museum for the saints. It's to be a hospital for the broken, for people who are coming alongside one another, who are loving one another and magnifying Christ. And I want that to be seen here today because here's... Some pastors, their vision of success is wrapped up in how many people are in the church. and That's a whole ego thing. I want to show you where my, my vision of success is. If you're an elder in the room or an elder's wife, go ahead and raise your hand. Keep your hand up. Okay. If you are a, um, 
uh, ministry director, add your hand up to the list. Okay, you serve in any area. Okay, if you serve in the youth group, go ahead and raise your hand. If you are a small group leader, go ahead and raise your hand. Here's what I know of the individuals. Go ahead and keep your hands up because I want everyone to see you. I know your hands are going to be tired, but go ahead and keep them up. Here's what I know of these individuals. Their heart is to let other people know of the goodness of Jesus, how much he loves you, that you are safe, that you are not alone, and that you are loved. That's wonderful. That, to me, is success. In fact, go ahead and put your hands down, and I'm going to ask them. If that is open to everyone, feel free to raise your hand, and know if you're like, man, I'm not there. But if that's honestly your heart, too, that you want the people around you to know that you are someone who they can come confide in, that your desire is to make them feel safe, seen, loved, heard, and to know Jesus Christ, would you go ahead and just raise your hand up as well? That, to me, is success. Because that's something that only Jesus builds. A community of people who are saying, man, we don't want to put on the self-image mask. We want to be imperfect people following a perfect God. Who's encouraged, and we are encouraging one another. We are loving one another. We're there for one another. And yes, we get this wrong all the time. <laughs> no one is more imperfect and worse at this than I am. And yet that is the beauty of the community that God has created of the redemption that he offers us. And it's not built on our self-image. It's built in the openness of our brokenness where we invite Jesus saying, Jesus, would you please come into this space and do a work? And we partner with him. There's something beautiful in that, my friend. And I hope you are encouraged today as you look around and you're like, man, you know what? There are people around me that I can confide in. And maybe for some of you, you're like, man, well, you need to, you need to have a conversation with one of the elders or small group leaders or ministry leaders in this room so that you know that you're not alone. Why don't you pray with me? Jesus, I'll be the first to admit, man, sometimes I get so consumed with my own self-image. And then when I mess up, the thought that comes across my head is, oh, man, I'm the pastor. What would people say or think if they saw that I was human? But Father, you are so good to us. Even when in the moment it doesn't feel good, we know that you are still good to us because you love us. And while we might be like the people in the book of Hosea who we mess up and we build idols in all the wrong places and we, we try to hide our brokenness, and we want people to see us a certain way. Father, you, you still offer us grace and redemption. And you've brought us into a community that I hope others in this room would be able to have the courage to look around and say, you know, I've been trying to build an image that's not working. And rather instead, I think I'm ready to partner with God and build what he wants to build in my life. Because, Father, it's exhausting trying to build up our own self-image. And it's exhausting trying to live in a certain way of thinking, man, I want people to think of me in a certain way. Because here's the honest truth I've learned. No one's thinking about us. So thank you so much that you're willing to break down our self-image. Thank you that in the mess that we want to avoid is something beautiful that you want to, to build. It will give life to us and give life to others. 
And so, Father, let me be the first to just say, come into the areas of my life that I'm hiding from you. Take my skeletons out of my closet and build something with it for your glory. It's in your name I pray.